episode 13. Well, the great disturbance in the force. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Two! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. our second episode of uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday, and we're going to do, just like last month, we're going to do a, a episode two of the Clone Wars. Uh, Scott's going to go over a few more um, audiobooks that he's been listening to, and then we'll be covering um, issues four through four six, six of the of the Marvel comic books. And now, um, I'm Chris Honeywell. And I'd like to introduce the man who is so cheap that he once asked for his money back at a dollar movie theater, Mr. Scott Gardner. It's not that I'm cheap. It's the principle of the thing. Obviously. That movie sucked. And what movie was that? It was Candyman with Tony Todd. Wow. And uh, I, I, the person I was with literally described it as a fucking disgrace to the theater manager and said that he should be ashamed to, to show such a complete piece of shit. <laughs> so, yes, we did literally demand and get our one dollar wow. back. Yeah. Who wouldn't give someone their dollar back just to make them go away at that point, you know? I'm sure that that's still talked about. You know, this this theater manager, whatever he's doing in life today, that's probably one of his favorite stories about the two assholes that asked for their dollar back. Well, they don't care about the dollar anyway. It's the popcorn and the soda that's they're making their money off of. This is true. This is true. If so, you how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm uh, all Star Wars up. I actually, I just watched rewatched the Clone Wars episode again tonight. So I'm all. Uh, I have it all freshy fresh in my in my mind. Cool. I have my my notes from the last time I watched it with some additions this time. I like the the beginning of this one with the little Yoda quote it says belief is not a matter of choice but of convict of conviction. Uh, that's exactly gonna... the first thing I wrote and then I wrote question mark exclamation mark after it like what the hell. <laughs> Next time I get in an argument with somebody, I'm just going to tell them that I'm convicted that they're a goddamn idiot. All you have to do to them is say, belief is not a matter of choice, but of conviction. And watch them sit there and chew on that and try and figure out what the <laughs> fuck does that mean. 
<laughs> I saw that, and then I watched the episode. I'm going to say, well, it'll all be made clear to me by the end of the episode. But it, what was made <laughs> clear to me is they're just sort of picking, like, they're pulling the Yoda <laughs> magic eight ball and shaking it up, and it comes up. Oh, belief is not a matter of choice, but of conviction. Okay, pop that on. <laughs> episode two. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Oh, I forgot there actually was there really was a Yoda Magic Eight Ball too. I mean, I actually sat. I I actually sat after I paused the first time I watched this. I paused it, and I sat there and I sat and parsed that that sentence up in my brain, trying to think. All right, what does this mean? Is this is this deep or, or does it just sound deep? And I think it just sounds deep. Belief is not a matter of choice. But of conviction, no. I guess. I, I, yeah, I've I've already wasted enough time trying to trying to chew on that. But that doesn't matter. That's just the 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 cheesy little new agey Yodaism at the beginning of it. I don't know. I'm pretty convicted that if I jump off the roof, I'm going to probably bust my ass. So you know. That's true. But uh, anyway, getting into this episode, what what did you think of this one? I liked it. Um, I had a couple little little quibbles, but I had a, a a bunch of things that I really liked about it. I very like the um some just some beautiful colorful shots, and they're really getting nice with how they compose. The first shot of the giant evil um, Grievous's giant evil ship that he's got there with this big orange nebulous background behind him. Yeah, his classic. Now we Not should even, probably give a little hint as to which episode, because by this point, there's what like by the yeah. time people hear this, there's what like five six episodes out. At so least, yeah. This in in, in short, this is the one where uh, Plo Koon and his his guys are going after Grievous's new secret weapon, which turns out to be that big energy cannon thing that that ion shuts down cannon, their yeah. electric ion cannon that shuts down all their electrical fields if they're hit with it. So uh, he winds up having to escape with a handful of clone troopers into an asteroid field. They're trapped in an escape pod, and uh, eventually Anakin and uh, Ahsoka come to their rescue. Right? That's that's pretty much that episode. Yeah, right? yeah, and uh, yeah. There, are, there's there's about four or five escape pods full of clone troopers, and and the um, Imperials are slowly cracking into them and killing them off, and the Jedi are trying to head off the ship, but um, Ahsoka um, wants to go to see if there's any survivors because the Jedi that was with him is was one of her mentors or one of her early friends. He's the one who brought her into the Jedi Order, so that she wanted to find him. Hmm? Is that the yeah the one with the little gas mask thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so she she's adamant about going to find him, and. Uh, this was what I thought the real point of the the movie was. It was showing how Anakin would get away with his uh, undercutting the the Jedi Council because she she flat out says we sh I want to go and look for survivors and they said look no your mission is to go find the ship and to accompany the troops going after the ship and uh, and Anakin sort of chides her for it but then when they leave. He heads right over there to look for survivors, and he just sort of uses his technicality of like, "Well, we're on the way to do this. We might as well do this." And she's like, "Well," so basically, he was proving to her that the the age old uh, um, trick of of 
the the arrogant of uh, do do what you want to and and pay you know do what you need to do and then pay the consequences afterwards you know now, deal with how it do you afterwards. How do you feel about that? Because personally, I mean, I I don't want to nitpick and I and I especially don't want to hate because it seems like between the Clone Wars movie and then the series that it's just not getting enough love. And I really do love it. This really is my favorite show out right now. But this one aspect's already starting to grate on me. You know, the fact that they, they constantly just kind of blow off orders and do whatever the hell they want to do. And, you know, what, what good is a rank system? What good is a disciplinary system if there's never any consequence for these people just kind of going... Well, I think well, they're showing I, well, how Anakin is sort of... He's going rogue, you know? How Anakin's, you know, sort of not... He's in that stage now where he is, and Obi Wan and Qui Gon both have reputations for being like that too. And if you notice, they're two of the more animated. Well, not really Qui Gon, <laughs> but you know that that you know Qui Gon was Qui Gon would go against the Jedi orders, and Obi Wan def. In this one, actually, when Obi Wan figures out that Anakin and Ahsoka are looking for survivors, you can see that he's a little frustrated, but at the same time. Ah, he can, you know, he knows what Anakin's getting at. You know, he knows Anakin's bending the rules a little bit, but he's still trying to get both done. And you know, it's basically a good thing to be looking for the survivors, because that's sort of a theme that's running through all these shows: is don't leave anybody behind. Right. Anakin is, we're, you know, no, no one's left behind. So, you know, so Anakin was showing her the difference between like overtly trying to do something and just getting it done. And then saying, well, you know, we tried to do this. And then at the end, they both face the Jedi. You know, he takes her with him to face the Jedi Council because he's like, if we're going to get yelled at, you're going to get yelled at too. So, uh... Now, the, the, uh, I realized that I was going to say the special effects, but, you know, when you when you consider this really is all animated. It's a cartoon, yeah. The, uh, the sequence where the ion beam, the ion burst, actually hits... The uh, what are their? I don't know what their ships are called. They're not quite star destroyers, but they're similar to right. a star destroyer. That shot where it actually hits the ship, boy, that that really looks awesome. Uh, the yeah. animation that part is just gorgeous. There's a lot but, of just there's a lot of really nice just nice shots in this. Mm -hmm. um, there's one where Ahsoka's standing in the in the pod in the back of their ship when they're pulling in the the pod at the end when they're reeling in the pod with the survivors in it and the door opens behind her and Anakin's standing there and you can see the white hallway behind him and mm -hmm. it's just beautiful it looks like it reminds me a lot of the pre-production art for Star Wars that Ralph yeah. McQuarrie did and it, like the scene of Grievous's ship with the orange nebula behind it reminded me of more like old science fiction magazine covers and fantasy paintings and stuff like that rather than something really from a movie you know it was more of a tribute to that Frank Frazetta sort of you know sci-fi paintings and stuff like that there's, there's some really just gorgeous animation going on in this and it's really funny that people are making fun of it because it's not you know like Toy Story level or you know that super Super because it's from Lucasfilm, people are expecting it to be extremely 
higher resolution or something, but I've noticed sometimes it's very high resolution and sometimes it's lower resolution and more blocky, and I like that they're trying to make it sort of like a puppet show. Right. I just like it. It looks neat. And it doesn't bother me at all. And the TV show I've noticed has just had, it, it always has one or two shots in every every show that are very Star Warsy, and have, you know, just give me that feeling of something where, where something happens and it's like, wow, that's really cool, but it's something I haven't thought of before in a Star Wars context, but it makes sense. And I love that. That's when you see something new in Star Wars that, that fits, you know? Right. And, and, it, and it fits into that sort of feel that's what made Star Wars great to begin with. This this show has a lot of... Um, is is making a habit of referencing referencing through dialogue back into the other other shows into especially into the original trilogy because this one this one also has somebody uh i i think it's it's either grievous or dooku who says you know the ship will be a, a suitable test for our new weapon you know this right it's, it's j- exactly like tarkin yeah, I, I've been catching that quite a bit, and I, I don't know. I, I haven't made a judgment yet. I, I part of me says that it's getting old, but as long as they're not horribly overt about it, I guess it's yeah. okay. But there was there was one in one of the later episodes where uh, it's the one where Padme appears, uh-huh. and as Anakin's walking off the bridge, she says, uh, "Somebody has to save her skin," and that's what uh, Leia says in. The first Star Wars, Star Wars yeah. system has to save our skins. So I mean, you know, it's little things like that. I I kind of like it, but I don't want them to just constantly abuse it either. Because there was a, a another um, episode. It might it might be the next one after this. I'm not sure. Where it's the it's the episode with the Y wings, where a lot of the dialogue in the in the Y wing attack is right out of the Death Star sequence. You know, the the trench sequence in the first Star Wars. Yeah. And, now, again, you know, I, I like the little references, but if they if they continue to do that and they overuse, it's going to get old don't, really fast. Yeah, don't so. shoot, don't shoehorn it in because you feel you need to. You know, do it when it's appropriate. Right. And there was also a weird uh, shit rolls downhill dynamic going on on Grievous's ship, where Dooku was there. He wasn't even just a hologram. He was there. And you had this whole sort of thing with Dooku. He was up on his, up on a higher level, looking down on Grievous, and Grievous is looking on the droids. So you had the pecking order going there. Right. And when things started, when the mission started failing, Dooku's sitting there looking at Grievous, going, "Yeah, you screwed this up. I'm gonna have to take this up with, uh, with, um, you know, the 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 master and." And I'm thinking, well, you're there. <laughs> if you outrank, <laughs> if you outrank him, shouldn't you be catching shit for this? So it's probably he's gonna catch, you know, hell from Palpatine, and then he's gonna he's spreading it down to to Grievous, who's gonna knock a head off a droid or two. And this really had some creepy scenes with the comedy droids being ruthless and bloodthirsty. Yeah, absolutely. That 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 claw thing that they use to go and puncture the other uh, remaining escape pods, man, that that was 
that was some pretty creepy shit for you know what is arguably a, a children's show. You arguably know? a children's show with well, first you see one full of dead troopers and they're like, oh, they're dead, and and it's like, so this show is pretty much established that the clone troopers will will die a lot. They just have to. It's a war, so it's you're sort of stuck with like, how can you do a war story without and for kids <laughs> that where people aren't going to get killed. But, uh, yeah, this has a one scene where they pop open the one pod and it's right out of 2001 with one of the clone troopers, like, floating out into space and twitching and writhing and then <laughs> abruptly stopping and yeah. floating away. And then the droid just gives him a jaunty, whoop, there he goes. <laughs> See, with all that, I'm, I'm really surprised, you know, if they're going to show scenes like that, then I'm surprised that there's so much so many other scenes that counter that, you know, that have the troopers without their helmets and they get a lot of humanization and a lot of characterization. If there's going to be so much death, you know, within, again, you know, like I say, which is argued, you know, this is arguably a show for children or at least supposed to be child friendly. It would seem like they would have them keep their helmets on and, and not really humanize them because I remember way back, you know, when there was only just the first star Wars film, I think there were a lot of people that that believed that the stormtroopers were actually robots. robots or androids, you know, that they weren't even people in in armor. You know? So Well, it wasn't. You know, this show has I'm sorry. The comic really is that like the comic books. I mean, you sort of assumed in Star Wars cuz they put on the, you know, they beat them up and took their outfits, did the beat them up and take their outfits thing. So you right. had to assume that there were people in them, but it wasn't really, you didn't really see like a stormtrooper like hanging out with his helmet off until like the comic books. The Marvel comics would have, you know, some shots of like stormtroopers, and they had a couple stories with stormtrooper characters, and you would see them without their helmets. And uh, that sort of went against the whole clone thing because they would be, you know, Joe Blow from the Kokomo Nebula. <laughs> or whatever you know join the I didn't I didn't join the empire for this or, but um now, did you notice that Plo Koon said that he could survive a short time in the pressure yeah and then he's outside for in like the, the vacuum rest of the episode well was... also he said he said yes I can survive the pressure for a while space is a vacuum which is the opposite of pressure so that was a little that was a little um but then again, there's plenty of sound in the vacuum of space in Star Wars, so I'll forgive him that little bit of science mess up, you know, science blooper or whatever. I, ju- I, ju- I just remember that going, wait a minute, survive the pressure of space? <laughs> it might be the pressure. It might Maybe he was talking about the pressure of his blood as it tries to burst out of his body into the vacuum of space. Or... You know, not to mention the temperature of space, which is way, way below freezing. But he's a Jedi, so, you know, whatever. That depends. It depends on, you know, whether you're in, in light yeah, or in sun. shadow, you know. But, yeah, I mean, like you say, I can I can forgive all that. If they say that, you know, he's durable enough to survive, you know, a short time, then, I, you know, I can forgive that. And I gotta say, with with Clone Wars, not to skip ahead a little bit, but since this show sort of features Anakin and, a, and Ashoka a bit, there I don't think 
Anakin, Ashoka, and Obi-Wan aren't the most, um, they're not the characters I look forward to seeing the most in, in this show. Uh, that, that, you know, I sort of, except for Ashoka, you know, I know Anakin and Obi-Wan's story arc, but, um, you know, I'm, I've been finding, like, the episode with Yoda and, um, stuff featuring the clone, you know, I've been more interested in the, in the clone troopers and stuff. I, I'm sort of like digging that you're getting that stuff developed, you know, and I think that's what they should go for more, de developing some of the, the sideline characters a little more because there's a, they could do a little more with that, you know, they could do a little more with those characters. Right. And, and, uh, and Obi-Wan, and, and Obi-Wan just gets to be Obi-Wan and Anakin has to be in that weird phase where he wants to be a good Jedi, so he's doing, you know, he's he's not really exhibiting too much evil in this. Although he should be having some fits and bursts of evil, and we've maybe we've just yet to see it. But, you know, he's sort of in, it's, you know, his character is in a sort of wheel-spinning stage, because you can't really do too much with him at this point, you know? So, I don't know. So I'm more, I'm more, I'm more intrigued by seeing some of the more obscure Jedi, or um, hey, I'd, I, I'm looking forward to seeing some sort of Mace Windu featured episode, like the, right. uh, like the first first set of cartoons, the cell animated cartoons, where they had the one where the little kid was sitting up on the hilltop watching him just wipe out all those droids and it had those giant ships that were sort of floating over and they would just put a humongous hammer column down and just squash yeah. everything. Yeah. I liked that a lot. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed that episode. So I, I think they are, I think they're going to try to do a balancing act of, of trying yeah. to focus on, you know, different characters through the episodes and then give you episodes where maybe there's not even, you know, a regular recurring character, just like, you know, uh -huh. they, they had one already that was a focus just on troopers. And I, I like that. I, I, if they continue to do that sort of thing, I'll really enjoy it because I think they can only get so much mileage out of trying to do, you know, the adventures of Anakin every single yeah. episode. I, I see, I'm, just, I'm just not as far. interested in seeing Anakin, Padme, um, Obi-Wan more, more, you know, I, it's Obi-Wan. I'll take Obi-Wan a little more. And, uh, you know, I'm always happy to see the droids doing whatever, you know, just because they're the Greek chorus. So you always got to have one of the droids hanging out. But uh, otherwise, I'm all up for, for new characters. And uh, But, you know, I'm always happy. Grievous is a great character, you know, animated in the show. You know, he looks great and is just a perfect, you know, there's a great shot in here, a classic villain shot of him with... His, I can't remember what it cut, cuts away from, but it it cuts away from something really beautiful looking to him, you know, clenching it. His fist is right up in the camera and he clenches it and he's shaking it as he curses the Jedi. Classic, <laughs> you know, classic. It looks beautiful, you know. A joy to watch. Well, I've got, I've got basically, I, I can give one big positive and, and my one... It's not a major negative, but my one one negative would be uh, my big positive is definitely I really enjoyed. I don't think it's actually 
2-1-B, but the, the medical droid that we see, I just liked really seeing that model of medical droid again because yeah. that was always one of my favorite figures, believe it or not, was the medical droid figure and i really i wish i still had him just because he's awesome he just looks cool you know and they got the slightly snotty speech style of those medical droids even though you didn't really hear too much he sounds just like the one from empire he really does i I was impressed with that and there's just this very subtle sort of marvin from hitchhiker's guide snottiness to him but it's very (laughs) subtle but it's there you know where they were like, you know, just go back down and take care of the the clones. And he's like, well, that's my programming, sir. My my one negative is uh, that ship that they're flying in. Uh-huh. Is this not the, the same ship that was like some just piece of shit ship that they found in the Clone Wars movie that just simply helped them get off that planet? Isn't it the same ship? Oh, you're right. Maybe it's their lucky ship. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, why are they still using this I remember crappy, he it's was supposed to be like a Millennium Falcon analogy or something? Because well, it just isn't working for me. Well, I remember in the movie that when they started flying it, he was like, well, it's a piece of crap, but it'll do for now. You know, that right. sort of thing. And it doesn't fly very well, but it's what we got to work with. So it sounded like a shit, you know, the Millennium Falcon just looked like a piece of shit, but it was actually really cool. Right. This one looks like a piece of shit and and is a piece of shit. So what right. the fuck? Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I really don't understand that. I I just don't I don't like it. I don't think it's designed very well. It's just not it has no cool factor. It it literally looks like you know, just some old crappy yeah. ferry boat that they found somewhere and and I don't know why they've stuck with that. You know, I'd much rather see you know him back in his Jedi starfighter, or you know maybe a whole new sleeker design of ship for him and Ahsoka to travel around in. I just don't like this this ship that they've got. But yeah, you know, I mean it's a nitpick, but I just I feel like it's kind of a major nitpick because I don't know why they're hanging on to this clunker. You know yeah. what I mean? But uh, other than that, this uh, I mean for me it's not I, it's not a bad episode. I don't think they've had a bad episode yet. But this this was probably my least favorite of them so far. I just I thought it was a little bit slow compared to the Yoda one before it, and then the ones we get right after it. It was just kind of a filler episode, but I enjoyed it. I liked you know the the lightsaber parts with Plo Koon, and yeah. I, I just I really liked the colors and the backgrounds in this one. Mm-hmm. But as far as the actual story and the action, it was just kind of like yeah, it was it was decent, but I couldn't rave about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I really liked it. I and and I I agree with you. The Yoda one really was it's you know it was a good idea to start the whole series off with a bang, and maybe I think they put this one on because well it's also the first part the the one you know it's the first part of a of a little story arc with that right. ultimate weapon, but it also is also has Anakin and a little you know Obi Wan via via holo holo communication but so it, it you know brings back brings the main characters into this one right but uh yeah i liked it i liked it a lot better the second time around you know watching it than the, than the first time which i liked it the first time but i definitely liked it better this time and yeah the backgrounds were definitely it's really got a sense of 
the 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 movie to me had um more action in it than the design it was it looked beautiful but this one really has a sense of of uh you know uh pulp fiction paperback right cover or you know or a Hildebrandt painting or something like that you know it's just got the it's it's got that great feel I wish they would do other, you know, I wish they would maybe do some other stuff in this style. I'd like to see, you know what I was thinking would be a really great sort of computer animated thing if they could figure out how to do it was uh, the black hole. Oh, yeah. They should remake it as a computer animated movie and then have a TV series of whatever happens when they go through the black hole. That, that actually is a good idea. I, I would I would be on board for that. Cause that had a really nice, that would have a that that had a really nice, very nightmarish horror movie, but old Hammer, you know, haunted house on the hill, horror movie sort of feel to it, but set in space. And right. I thought that worked really neat. I thought it had a really neat mood to it. But you know, of course, watching it now, there's some. There's some cheese factor to it, but there's still some really beautiful stuff on it. But it was, of course, during that time period, they had to have the cute robots. So that's that's a little trite. But, uh, yeah, I think it would make great. Although I'm not one, I'm not a big fan of remakes and re redoing stuff, but that would be something I think I would really enjoy watching. Well, that you know, Disney's kind of been on that kick the last few years. Of you know, every once in a while they pull out some old classic or semi-classic and dust it off and try to you know give it a give it a facelift or or a remake or whatever. You know, they they've done several, so that that one could possibly be somewhere down the line. Then uh -huh. you know they might actually do something with it. But uh, see, oh, go ahead. No, I was just. I was going to ask you if you thought we needed to go to break, or or were you still going with this one? No, I was saying let's uh, let's go right to the uh, audio books. Oh, okay. Um, real quick before I get into the audio books, um, I had totally forgotten about this book, and I I feel I would be remiss without giving it a shout out. I was going through and placing my uh, my DCBS order the other day, and I discovered this Star Wars book listed, and it was listed as something I you know that I had paid for, and they had already shipped to me, and I'm like. I don't remember this book. So I did some digging around, and sure enough, this is a Star Wars The Clone Wars um, trade paperback size you know, one-shot um, called Shipyards of Doom. And it turned out I had received it. I just forgot that I did. I lent it to my little one, and you know, he, he read it and buried it somewhere in his room, and I ended up finding it. So I sat down and read it, and... Uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. The original cover price on this is seven ninety five, so you know that's what you'd pay at like a Barnes Noble or something. You could probably find it cheaper somewhere online or what. But uh, I really liked it. It's uh, ninety something page, ninety six pages, no ninety two pages. So it's a nice long, you know, it's a, it's a, like a novel size thing, and uh, it's done very much in the. Uh, the style of like Clone Wars Adventures. I be, I think basically this is the successor to Clone Wars Adventures because it's the same format, the same art style, the same size, the same price point, everything like that. Um, but it's not numbered or anything. It's just, you know, it's individually named um, Shipyards of Doom. And basically it, it feels 
and reads just like an episode of this of this show. You know, Anakin and Ahsoka and Ben Kenobi and some other people decide they need to go straight to where the banking clan is making the separatist ships, the big old battleships, and take out this shipyard. Makes sense. So they they plan this whole thing out where they're going to go and basically stage a commando raid and and take the take the facility out. And uh, from there, it's just you know it's a good slam bang adventure. It's got lots of action, lots of character moments, and things like that. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. The art was nice. You know, it's very simplistic, cartoony style, but it really works for these adventures style books. Um, my only real nitpick with the story, and again, this is just one of those things. I'm just getting tired of seeing this, and I really hope that they start to kind of ease up on it in the future. There was a really original idea for this book that I thought where in order to have a a fail-safe security measure for this shipyard, the uh, separatists have, have blockaded this planet and they've created this giant ring that you have to fly your ship through it and it generates an energy field that destroys all biological matter. Anything, you know, that's biological will be, you know, destroyed. So only droids can go through it. Yes, only, you know, automated things can go through it. So in order to sneak onto this planet and do what they need to do, they came up with the idea of everyone was going to be put into suspension by being frozen in blocks of carbonite. And I just, you know, yeah, it's a cool idea, but then it ends up becoming, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka and all these troopers and all these different people. And I'm thinking, it's just a little too coincidental to me that, you know, Darth Vader was now frozen in a block of carbonite, along, you know, similar to what they do to Han Solo later right. in The Empire Strikes Back. You know, because it was That's pretty well established. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. I mean... Wasn't it pretty well established in Empire that they didn't know that it was going right. to work? You know, they, they, there's several references to that in the dialogue. You know, what if he doesn't survive? And, you know, well, the Empire will compensate you if he dies and all this. Well, so, it, I mean, it, could be that, it could be that Cloud City didn't really have the proper facilities to encase someone in carbonite because they'd never done it. So they had to sort of rig up some sort of you know, contraption to do it. Who knows? Well, who knows? I don't, I don't know. It I'm, just not gonna, I'm not going to try to <laughs> stick up It was up just for kind it. of pushing my, pushing my limits of uh -huh. those incidences. You, you know, know what I mean? What? It doesn't stop them from being biological anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're still a biological en entity. You're just encased in carbonite. And I don't see why they wouldn't be able, you know, unless it's like lead and it's impervious to the scan or something. But, you know, that said, I don't want to nitpick it to death. I really did like it. You know, there was some really good battle moments. You know, all the major characters are in it. And, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good little read, and I, I felt sorry that I had forgotten it, and I didn't want to slight it in our reviews of these sorts of things. So I uh -huh. thought I'd give it the shout-out. Um, there has been at least one other um, book solicited so far. The name escapes me at the moment, but it has not arrived for me yet from DCBS, so I'm going to assume that it's not actually released yet. 
Um, but I don't see any volume numbers or anything on these, so I don't know if these are going to be just the occasional one-shot deal or if uh -huh. it's going to be a regular series or what. This one here is just individually named. The Clone Wars adventures were actually numbered, and this one is not numbered, so I don't know. You know, there was a uh, – recently there was an Indiana Jones adventures done in this same style. Huh. And and that one, I believe, was numbered number one, but so far there's only just been the number one. So maybe they're playing it, you know, but, you know, just going, you know, one at a time and seeing how they sell, and that's that's how they'll they'll go forward with the uh, with the series, you know, yeah. just depending on how each individual one goes, whether there'll be a subsequent one. So anyway, moving right along, um, we are going to delve once again into the Star Wars audiobooks. Um, again, f uh, for anybody who, who hasn't heard these before, we are going in chronological order. So the next one up for me was a book called The Approaching Storm. This was written by Alan Dean Foster, who fans may remember wrote the first uh, Star Wars Expanded Universe um, novel. It was called Splinter of the Mind's Eye. One of my favorite books ever, yeah. regardless of Star Wars or what. It's just one of my favorite books, period. Um, and this is something I didn't know until I did a little bit of research on Alan Dean Foster. Did you know that he actually ghost wrote Star, Star Wars? Wars? Yeah. I did not know that. I thought that was a really cool piece of trivia. I always figured George Lucas really did write the book, but evidently he did not. Um this book was read by Alexander Adams, which again he's you know now read. He, the two main guys for these books seem to be Alexander Adams and Jonathan Davis. There are there are others, but these seem to be the two big guys between these two respective companies. Um, I there was not a note whether it was abridged or unabridged, but I'm going to assume that it was abridged because it wasn't horribly long. Um, basically, I summed this one up with two words. Space Indians. It's not a bad thing. It wasn't a bad book, but man, this is not what I've come to expect from Alan Dean Foster. Now, I've not read a hell of a lot of Alan Dean Foster, but I've read a decent amount of his books. One that always stood out in my mind beyond Splinter of the Mind's Eye is Alan Dean Foster wrote the novelization to the movie Starman, the, the one that starred oh, um, right. Jeff, Bridges. Jeff Bridges. And that was a good book. You know, It gave you a lot of insight into the character. There were a lot of little scenes that weren't in the movie, things like that. And I, I, I like Alan Dean Foster's writing style, but I got to admit, I didn't care for it a whole heck of a lot in this story. This wasn't a bad book. It was just, and this is going to keep coming up, I'm afraid, it was just kind of slow and boring. And that's really disappointing me so far because I'm I find myself keep using that same descriptor for a lot of these Star Wars books. They're just kind of slow and boring, and that's a damn shame because if there's two things Star Wars should never ever be, it's slow and boring. Yep. The basic premise of this book is they go to the planet um, Ancyon, which is mentioned briefly in the beginning of Attack of the Clones. This is basically the story of that adventure that they're coming back from in the beginning of Attack of the Clones. Right. And they go there to settle basically a dispute on the planet amongst like different factions of the planet. Um, it just wasn't terribly interesting. You know, they, they get there and they realize that in order to do what they need to do, they need to travel into the planes of this planet kind of like cowboys you know they they get on their 
pseudo horse things and they go out to meet like the native space Indians on this planet and, and secure some sort of treaty with the tribes. And that it's about as exciting as my description. It really was not fantastic. And what I really found unfathomable was that there is a very, very, very Jar Jar-esque character in this book who's just as fucking annoying as Jar Jar Binks. So why they created another Jar Jar is I mean, he, he really was was not a great character. So, you know, I, I'm not going to give it a thumbs down. I mean, it was interesting. It's just, you know, it's easily skipped if you're really just wanting to read the good ones or really wanting to read the ones that contribute something to the overall canon. This one was not a great contribution. The next one, however, whew, I couldn't I couldn't rate this one higher. Damn, this is what I want from a Star Wars book. This is the adaptation of Star Wars Attack of the Clones. Um, this is written by R.A. Salvatore, read by Jonathan Davis, and this was the unabridged reading. And, you know, granted, this was a movie adaptation, but the reason I like this, this is my style of movie adaptation. There are three chapters, full chapters in this book before the movie even starts. So, you know, the movie starts where... Uh, the Naboo ship comes and lands on Coruscant and there's right. the assassination attempt on Padme. Man, there are three full chapters before you ever even get to that. It really fleshes the story out. It gives you everything I like in this kind of a book. Because if you've seen the movie, then you feel like you know the story. Right. So I like the ones that fill in the gutters. You know, you get inside the characters' heads, you learn their motivation, you learn the little secrets of the backstory, you get moments that maybe didn't make the final cut of the film, things like that. I love those kind of books. This is that kind of a book. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um a couple things I did have, though, is uh, I wish people would stop using the term bantha poodoo as if it meant ban- bantha shit because it doesn't. It means bantha food. Yep. And I've heard that now in several different Star Wars things, bantha poodoo, and there's a big laugh. I know the word poodoo sounds like shit, but it's not shit. It's food. So stop using it for shit. Um, and then this is really just a question. I really one of the things I was really hoping for in this book was to finally get some of the backstory and a little bit of info on Sifo-Dyas. Now Sifo-Dyas was the Jedi who went to Kamino and basically scored the deal for the creation of the clone army. I think who it was Sidious. I think it was Sidious with another it was just another name for Sidious cuz he goes under many names. No, Sifo-Dyas is, is, is acknowledged as being, I mean, Obi-Wan knows who he is. I mean, he recognizes the name and he, he you know, because he's the one that says, oh, they, well, they you know, Master Sifo-Dyas died like 10 years ago or something like that. Right, but, but it could have been him. It could have been him. He could have looked like, it could have, he could have looked like, um, who knows what he could have looked like. He could have had some sort of disguise or something. You know, because so he, you that, think that up until he became, you know, up until he got into power, he was just an obscure senator, and he could have been, yeah, he could have been Sifo-Dyas. It's it's weird because it seems Lucas was sort of playing with that, you know, using similar names with you know that he would sort of use similar names and like to have multiple personalities all doing their things in their different worlds 
Well, I just would have liked to have gotten some sort of a story because the, the two notes I had about Cypher Dias was I want to know who killed him. I want to know if it was Palpatine because that's the feeling I get when I watch the movie is that Palpatine did him in. And then, you know, just simply my other note was just simply why wasn't there a prequel story about him? I, I really would have liked that. I mean, even if it turned out that you're right, I would have like, just liked to have known. I don't like just being – What the deal you know, is, yeah. As, as to you know, this guy seems like you know he must have been a fairly important person, but you're just not giving any story whatsoever, and that that was really my nitpick about all of the books that took place between um, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. There's a slew of them in there, and none of them I I feel were particularly necessary or particularly enlightening, and that's really a shame because that was such an unexplored period of time in the star Wars universe. And sadly it just doesn't seem to have been properly farmed. And I was really disappointed by that. But anyway, you know, to get back on the positive attack of the clones, um, audiobook, oh, it was fantastic. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, my next one, and this is going to be the last one I'm going to review for this episode. Um, this one was called Shatterpoint. This is the first, um, at least of, of the books that I have, this is the first one that's post-Attack of the Clones. Um, this is written by Matthew Woodring Stover, read by Jonathan Davis, and this was an abridgment. Um, this is a Mace Windu book. Um, I would say it's you, you, you could call it Shatterpoint also known as Shitter Point, because I think this would make an excellent book to read on the can. <laughs> it would keep you regular. Yeah, exactly. Also known as Jungle Action in Space. Now, you know, I'm just an average white dude, but I would love to hear from – if, if we have any black listeners that have read this book, I want to hear your take on this book because – Granted, I don't relate very well, but I would think that if I were a black person, I would think that this book would kind of piss me off. I would think that this book was very racially stereotypical. Here, here's my take on it. Doesn't it seem – now? maybe it's just me, but doesn't it seem like every at least comic book black hero we ever get is either from the fucking ghetto – or from Africa. Right, right. They're you know? not from a like, middle-class like, family, yeah, normal they're, they're family, either, like a lot of black people are. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're either the Jeffersons or they're like, you know, they're like uh, Black Panther, you know, like King right. of Wakanda or something. You know, it seems yeah, like yeah. there's never, never a middle ground. Now, this is Star Wars, right? You don't have to do that bullshit with this. You know, right. Mace a- doesn't have to come from the planet Ghetto. And he doesn't have to come from the planet Africa, you know. He's he he's in an entirely different galaxy. Well, he's essentially, in a, he's in a universe where they got those little like drooly guys who was flying the Millennium Falcon with Lando and Jedi, you know, walking so, around. So so you know, the, uh, a humanoid, the different colors on humanoid is is not going to make anybody bat an eyebrow. Be, because right. of the, the the sheer diversity of the Star Wars universe puts everything to shame because there's every kind of species. Right. So Mace Windu could have had any back, literally any backstory. Sure. 
He could have been a you know son of a moisture farmer. He could have been the prince of a planet. He could have been, you know, a, a friggin' factory worker. He could have been a cop. He could have been any damn buddy. What do they do? This is basically a Mace Windu solo adventure set against flashbacks of where Mace came from. They set him as basically coming from the planet Jungle Africa. Jesus Christ, this... I mean, it just... It offended me, and I, I'm a white guy, you know? I, I really, it really got on my nerves as just being so damn stereotypical. And, you know, as, as fantastic... I mean, you think of great episodes of the, of the Clone Wars cartoon, most everybody will immediately cite the Mace Windu episode. That was, right. that was just excellent, excellent episode. This book had every potential to be that, and it just kind of half-ass runs with it. There are some really cool sequences. I mean, and the story's not horrible. It's just the idea behind the whole premise to begin with. Yeah, exactly. I just had a lot of problem getting past it. You know, I I just... Now, granted, I'm not up on my African real-world, real-situation, current events wars, but isn't there some, like, some sort of rebel thing going on in like Uganda or some friggin' place right now. There's where turmoil there's, like, all over Africa. Yeah, that this book is essentially that. Now, Mace ends up going to this planet. To he's tracking down a fellow Jedi who's accused of some kind of war crimes on this planet. He gets there and gets embroiled in this whole tribal war thing. So it's like a war within a war. You know, the planet's controlled by the separatists but then on the actual planet there's actually a war going on amongst the natives of the planet you know there's a power struggle going on there he ends up embroiled in this whole thing and about you know a chapter into the book you find yourself going you know what I don't really give a fuck about any of these people or what their goddamn situation because how does this relate to the clone wars how does this relate to the bigger shit that's going on I really don't care and you know, you got to remember, I'm listening to these books when I'm on my feet working all night long. So I'm listening to them. If they're not terribly interesting, I find my mind wandering and I'm listening right. to them with half brain. This, you know, this audiobook was really only about maybe six, seven hours at most. It took me the better part of a week to listen to it because I'd realized that like an hour had gone by and I'd totally zoned the fuck out. And so then I had to rewind back to like the last place I remember yeah. actually paying attention. It took me forever to get through this. The The writing style was, was just really wonky. And I don't know. I, I, I feel like I should rate it higher because it wasn't horrible. It just, it wasn't even that it was boring so much as that I just really didn't care. You know, it was May's goddamn window. He should impress the hell out of me. He should be awesome. And he was just not, terribly awesome he was just kind of like you know he he was black panther in space and uh, you know if i want to read that I'll, I'll read you know some you know avengers space story you know but that's not my star wars and i don't know for that reason i'm gonna give this one kind of a you know thumb in the middle it wasn't great but it wasn't horrible it was just kind of eh you know, so I mean, if Mace Windu's your thing, and you think you would like this based on my description, you know, check it out. But I, I, you know, again, I would really like to hear from someone 
who read this, you know, particularly, you know, if you're a person of color, I would really like to know what is your take. Am I dead wrong? Am I seeing an issue where there's not one, or am I dead on that this was really kind of racial? Um, and that's it. Sadly, because this book left such a sour taste in my mouth, and because I'm skipping all my podcasts to listen to these, I devoted the rest of my time um, to catching up on my shows. I'll have some new ones um, when it comes Star Wars time again next month, but for now, um, just these three. So, top recommendation to Attack of the Clones. The other two were just eh. So that's where we stand in the Star Wars uh, audiobooks. And Attack of the Clones was your favorite of the. Yes. Of the movies, too, of the newer trilogy. Absolutely. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we'll we should uh, we should take a break and come back with um, episodes, episodes, issues four through six of the Marvel Comics Star Wars. Cool. Which is the second half of the Star Wars movie. Excellent. There is nothing new under the sun, but... Under the small green fourth moon of Yavin, there is quite a different story. <laughs> Director George Lucas and 20th Century Fox present Star Wars. Luke Skywalker is on a daring mission to rescue a beautiful princess, and all he needs is a little help from his friends. Han Solo, space pirate, and Chewie, his giant Wookiee, C-3PO, human relations cyborg, and his counterpart R2-D2, and the mysterious Jedi Knight. Never before in the history of movies has so much time and technology been spent just for fun. Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Okay, we're back from break, and uh, we are going to continue with our coverage of Marvel Comics Star Wars, and we are going in order. Um, the last time we did Star Wars, we did issues one through three, and now we are going to wrap up this story arc with issues four through six. Now, before we get into this, um, Chris, you had a question last time about the covers on these, and uh, uh, I could identify, you know, he's a very distinctive inker and i could identify tom palmer's inks on the covers of uh one through three but i wasn't exactly sure about um the the actual artist the penciler it turns out that on one through three um howard chaikin was indeed the artist on those three issues now as we get to these issues we're doing today the uh four five and six the artist on number four is Rick Hoberg, and then on um, five and six, it's Rick Hoberg inked by uh, Dave Cockrum. Now, Dave Cockrum, um, the recently deceased Dave Cockrum, unfortunately, um, comic book people will remember him as uh, he's probably most famous for um, the new X Men. You know, when when Wolverine uh, yeah. and, and Storm and all them joined the you yeah. know, he was the artist of, uh, of Giant Size, X-Men, and X-Men 94 and all that. Also did a lot of work on the Legion of Superheroes back in the day. Just a great artist. I, I made a quick note here about the other the reprints that I talked about um, in the first episode of this. 
the Marvel Comics illustrated version of Star Wars. That's the little trade paperback size, the black and white. Rick Hoberg and Dave Cockrum did the cover for that. They also did the cover for Marvel Special Edition number one. And actually, now that I think about it, those actually might be the same the same art on both of those. They're just in very, very different sizes because the Marvel Illustrated version, that's the little trade paperback. The Marvel Special Edition, that's the giant ch- treasury size. Yeah. But now that I, th- I think those covers may actually be the same artwork. Uh, Marvel Special Edition number two, I was shocked to discover who the artist is on that, and I'll be damned if I, I didn't recognize him, and I sh- I, I, di- I dope slapped myself because I really should have. I, I really, really like this artist. It's uh, Tony. Now, I've been told the pronunciation is Dizaniga. I, I always used to say Dizaniga, but I've, I, I've heard that it's actually Dizaniga. Um, he did like... Uh, like Jonah Hex and a lot of uh, like All Star Squadron and stuff like that, um, weird Western tales, things like that. He's uh, he's been around for quite a while. Usually just an inker, but evidently he did uh, all the uh, art on that one. And then Ernie Chan did Marvel Special Edition number three. That's the one that reprints um, all six of these first six issues. He did the front and back cover for that. Some nice original art on those. And uh, that catches us up as far as credits for the cover artists. Going into number four, um, artists on this issue, once again, Howard Chaikin and Steve Lealoha. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, Written by Roy Thomas. And uh, this picks up, this issue picks up right where the battle in the... um, in the corridor of the detention cell starts up. I love the cover too. I love the, here I stand though I may die. (laughs) I always do that. I always skip over the covers and I don't mean to. Yeah, this is, oh, this is one of the wonkier covers in this. Now, Darth Vader awesome. You know, he's all like underlit with that red glow and he looks really, you know, almost like, like a campfire ghost story type of face, you know, where it's He's all spooky and all, but everybody else is really want. You know, Luke looks like like Buck Rogers or something. Yeah, Ben's got this big green bathrobe. bathrobe exactly. And then <laughs> Leia, Leia looks okay until you get to her ruby red slippers, and I don't know what's up with that. You know, she's very Dorothy Gale looking in that in that yep. outfit. But, uh, you know, she actually looks good. You know, she's got the buns and. You know the the whole outfit's going, but then you get to those slippers, and it just doesn't. It, it's very disconcerting. But well, uh, it's like the Conan the Barbarian Luke up in the corner of all these early Star Wars too, with his flowing Thunder the Barbarian. Yeah, with his flowing Hercules hair going there. No, it's up didn't with they that. Keep, did they keep the same logo through the whole? I can't remember. I, I have, think they did. I have to look at my later issues and see if they yeah. changed. I can't, they changed it or not. Isn't that awful that I can't recall? I'll have to look that up later and, and see if they if they kept the same one or not. Um, but right off the bat, man, um, that that first page, the splash page, I I don't know why I love it so much, but I do. I really like that that page. You know, it's it's Luke, Han, Leia, and Chewie, and they're just cornered all the way at the back of the of the corridor. You know, for the detention cell, and you know, just trading shots with the Imperials and. Uh, I just really love it. I like, like the way it's colored. I like the, you know, the the bolts look really weird. They almost look like they're splashing when they yeah. hit. Yeah, there was a lot of that in the in the early comics, especially in these Howard Chaykin ones. They would hit and 
I guess he was showing the little explosions or something, but it, yeah, it looks like they're splashing and and sparking. And oh, I, by the way, I just look, I just pulled out issue number seventy nine. It's got a picture of R two and C three PO up in the corner of it. Yeah, now that I think about it, I, there I was, was looking... ones with Vader too. Yeah, I'm looking here. Oh, that's right, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm looking here, and it seems to me that the last pre Empire Strikes Back issue. The one that was done by uh, by Michael Golden. I'm pretty sure that's yeah, it is. It's that's the last one with Thunder the Barbarian Luke. <laughs> the very next issue, number 39, begins the adaptation of The Empire Strikes Back, and that's got the classic R2 and 3PO up there, which stayed there for quite a while, as I recall. So maybe maybe as the new each new subsequent movie came along, is when they changed the uh, changed the logo to something. You know something different. Yeah, because the later issues had had different. Yeah, I'm looking at just a quick cover gallery here, and yeah, later issues had different things in the corner. So yeah, so it lasted you know for thirty for thirty eight issues before they finally changed it, which was nice because you know Luke didn't you know even even toward the end of this before they got to the Empire adaption, he did eventually start to wear something other than his uh, his Tatooine uh, robe. Yeah. That's whatever it's supposed to be, that tunic or whatever. Um, so then we move along to uh, nice little shots, kind of a strange picture of three PO, but I still like it. You know, three PO and R two trapped in the control room, and they realize that the that the troopers are trying to get in. I like in this they're actually shooting their way, yeah, through the door to get into the control room. You know, rather than what, however they eventually get in in the movie. So you know, Leia does basically the same thing. She shoots the. Uh, shoots the trap door away from the uh, garbage chute and they go down into the garbage chute and uh, I just have to say I you know I really I really really like the art in this and for some reason I I almost have the impression I could be wrong but I think I may have had this issue before I had the the first three issues I don't know it just oh. every time I look at this it looks more familiar to me than than the earlier issues I think maybe I just had this issue longer than them or so or maybe I just liked it better or something but yeah the I just look at this and it's just like ah oh, it's like yesterday you know I really really like the art well in I this. think I think I had the four five and six before I had one two and three also because these are my favorite I think they're drawn better than yeah. one through three too. Although, I think they're more consistent issue to issue as well. Whereas one, two, and three, you know, there's that there's that huge leap in stand, you know, art standard yeah. between two. But then you know, even three, I think, is even a step up again from from number two, as awesome as number two is. And then by this fourth one, they were, I think, they were really nailing it. Four and five are very consistent. So the only difference to me with six was that they changed inkers, and I, I, I think six does suffer a bit as far as the inking goes. But... Six is my favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. Art-wise, it is. Yeah, I love it because it's all battle, and I just loved it oh, when I was a kid. True. It's all close shots of the ships fighting each other and the insides of the ships and stuff. It's awesome, and I like that. They took the whole last issue and dedicated the whole last battle to a whole issue of the comic, you know. So you yeah. got the whole detailed battle, all the tactics involved in it. I like that. That was one thing I, was, I really thought a lot more about this time with, with reading the last three issues as opposed to the first three issues. Is really, when you think about it, how how 
you know this this point that we're at with the uh, you know trapped in the in the corridor having that fight in the hallway, right to the final part of the movie, is really that's that's well more than halfway into the movie, isn't it? I mean, if you take all that yeah. that sequence, I'm thinking that's maybe half hour, forty minutes, maybe a little bit longer. I don't know. I I could be wrong about that, but it seems like I mean if you if you split it right down the middle, that that the halfway point in the movie actually falls, you know, a ways before that that battle in the corridor. Yeah, right. I don't know. It's usually right when they get sucked into the Death Star. If you go by yeah. story of Star Wars, that's when you have to flip the record over. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Wow, that was a we reference. We're opening the up the magnetic right. shields. Yep. Dun- I really, I, I think the stormtroopers in issue four are dead on for a change. You know, they they're not wonky, they're not you know, fat or skinny. They're uh, I don't know if it's because they had more production stills to work on, or if they just finally got it down. But they look really good in this issue. Yeah, I, I think everybody really does. I mean, you don't see a whole lot more of like bodybuilder or There's you know, big six year old. Yeah, yeah, I, know, I did like, notice that. On, on page three, ha- about halfway down, there's a picture of him. He's You see him in proportion with like Han, and he's just huge and wide with this weird wide shoulders. And then on the bottom of page six, his mouth is like humongous. <laughs> and he's saying, a rag. <laughs> well, going strictly by my incredibly shitty and growing worse all the time memory... I don't think Chewie really started to get straightened out until well after the Empire adaption. Uh-huh. I think somewhere about the time that uh, that uh, Walt Simonson or maybe it wasn't even until like the Ron Friends, uh, Tom Palmer stuff much later, some, somewhere way post that is when Chewie actually started to resemble the movie Chewie. But to my recollection, Chewie really does not look like Chewie any time prior to the Empire adaption. I, I could be wrong, and I'll point it out if we get to one where I think he looks like Chewie. But in these in these issues, he just he really does. He looks like a big Sasquatch. Uh huh. He looks more like uh, what what was his dad's name in the in the in the special Itchy? Because <laughs> he looks more like Itchy because he's he's like yeah. older looking in the face and he's like fat. You know, he's like wide but uh yeah man the art i mean the face he got the faces down i mean there's a lot of a lot of panels where they they really look you know 3po looks really good and you know you don't see any more of of you know like buff luke or 60 year old luke or anything like that you know han doesn't necessarily look like harrison ford but he does look like he's consistent from panel to panel you know yeah, well, the art is still—it's still got that sketchiness from number one. It doesn't have the fine detail of like the last couple episodes, but it gets the look of everything down right. You know, it's got the—it gets the feel and look of uh, and the flow of everything right. And, uh, and, I, and the number of the trash compactors wrong too. Yeah, I, I wondered if you would point that. Out. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. Well, I know you can rifle it right off. <laughs> Three two six three eight two seven. Yeah, I can only remember the three eight two seven <laughs> part of it. Now, <clears throat> looking at page sixteen and seventeen reminds me of something I wanted to point out. Um, I have not received it in the mail yet, unfortunately, which really pisses me off. 
But I, I decided after our last Star Wars um, episode that I wanted to purchase a new copy of Marvel Special Edition number three. That that's the one that reprints issues one through six in total. Uh-huh. Because the one I have is it's it's essentially coverless, um, and I just wanted a really nice one to replace it. I ended up buying it off of eBay. I think I paid seven dollars for it. So you know, like I say, it has yet to arrive, but. I read this this coverless one for when I was doing these four through six, simply because man, you can't beat that treasury size edition. Yeah. You know that, that just the giant panels. It just looks so beautiful. I'm serious, people. If you know if you're interested by by listening to us to check this stuff out for for your first time or to to rediscover it, man, check it. It's so worth your money to to acquire these these special editions. Because it's just you, you just don't get better than that that giant print you know that giant beautiful art you know and the the page of uh, you know Luke throwing his grapple up and having that ew moment where he's kissing his sister uh-huh. and then swinging across the chasm I mean that stuff on that giant page is oh man it just it, it's beautiful it just I, I just don't know how else to put it it's just it's so great to look at it you know blown up big like that. Love that, you know, that awesome picture of, of just, you know, the side profile of, of Darth Vader as he's yes. stalking Kenobi. And, and, it's, and it's separated by a frame and then Obi-Wan looking the other way and they mirror each other. Oh, that's there. true. Yeah, really you're, nice. yeah, you're right. You're right. You are so right. They're both, they're both just tuning in on each other. And like Obi-Wan's looking with some stormtroopers running and he's looking at Obi-Wan. You know, you are so good at stuff like that because I remember, God, this this has got to be pushing, what? It's got to be pushing like 20 years ago. But I remember the last time you and I were, were together watching Return of the Jedi. And you pointed out how Luke's face is half lit and half dark in that scene where Vader's tempting him under the stairs right, toward the end right. of the... You know, I never noticed that before. Now, maybe I'm just a fool, but I never noticed that before. And it's so now that I see it, it's so obvious. Well, I can't you, not see it anymore when I watched that movie, but I had never noticed it before that. Point, then. At that point, I was such a film nerd. I mean, when I was in middle school, I was reading, like, one of the books I remember sitting in the middle school library and reading was called uh, Truffaut Hitchcock, Hitchcock Truffaut. And one oh, half yeah. of the book was Hitchcock interviewing Francois Truffaut, and the other half was Francois Truffaut interviewing Hitchcock. And they were talking about, you know, the basics of filmmaking and, you know, mise-en-scene and stuff like that. All the stuff that I would later study in film school, I was so interested in that I was already reading the books about it. So I was already, by that time, I was always already looking for stuff like that in... And in in Star Wars movies, they don't have to be too very subtle about it, but George Lucas always had that extra layer, so there was always something subtle going on. Well, George Lucas wasn't even direct. Who knows who was directing? You know, that's the thing is in Empire and Jedi, you really don't know at any certain time who's directing the scene you're watching. You know, George Lucas directed a lot of it and did second unit and Kirshner and you know you know Marquand yeah Marquand but Lucas was always there so you don't know how much of it is who's and who's but there was always subtle things to it and yeah I, I remember that immediately being one of the things that like 
stood out. But I was big into reading like film criticism books, like books by Pauline Kael, full of her like book rev- or movie reviews from. Uh, I think she was for the New York Times, some New York City newspaper. She was a famous um, movie critic. She was more of an analyst than a critic, you know. She wasn't there to say whether it was good or bad. She was mostly there to analyze how it was made and its place in culture or whatever. But uh, now what do you uh, what do you think of the lightsaber battle? I love it in this. I think this really. I mean, when I read these comics again, it really, and I think we probably went over this a little bit last time, but it always bears repeating, is how much, you know, watching the movie, how the my perception of Star Wars is so much a mixture of reading these comics a million of times, watching That's... the movie a million times, and listening to the story of Star Wars a million times, or whatever medium mind you but the comics were like one of the best and you know and this really captured captured although sometimes in the the battle Obi-Wan looks a little more angry <laughs> than he yeah. he's more zenned out and calm in the movie <laughs> and that <laughs> no. makes out and that makes sense and here he's just like rah fighting and but it's a comic book but I love the head, you know, the head-to-head scene with the lightsabers is classic, and uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of trite now, but not when you know, not here. This is where it started, you know. So yeah, I like it a lot. And the scene I, where scene where Vader strikes him down is just like bizarre. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost like it like it uh, disrupts him, almost like a phaser blast yeah. or something. I like that. I really do. And I've always liked, I mean, really, really liked that, um, like, extreme close-up of Luke screaming Ben's name. Yeah. It's just, you you know, you can see the anguish on his face. It's it's almost photorealistic to a, to a degree. I mean, I, I really like that well, panel. Well, the next shot is right from a, is right from a uh, production. Yep. <laughs> I love Han Solo. He says, he was a brave old user. I'll say that for him. (laughs) Well, that's one of those, that's one of those comic book moments where, you know, in the space of half a second, somebody's uttered this whole line of, you know, he was a brave old geezer. I'll say that for him. Come on. So his sacrifice won't have been in vain, won't have been in vain. That's what I would. That's He's, what I always refer to as a Captain America moment, because like Captain America would fall off a two-story building and deliver three pages of dialogue yeah, before you, you way hit down. the ground. Yep, absolutely. And I like the shot where he's shooting the stormtroopers, and it's an extreme long shot, and, and uh, his laser says "bazark." <laughs> bazark. <laughs> bazark. That's the last thing that stormtrooper heard was "bazark" before he went to stormtrooper heaven. And then is the last thing Luke heard as he runs into the lip, into the uh, Millennium Falcon. It's frack as the laser hits near his head. You know, if I recall correctly, I think the last time I had one of those Chalupa meals from Taco Bell, I think I made a bizarre sound did, too. Or did you make a frack? <laughs> <laughs> and I and I love this shot of them 
shooting out of the Death Star on the last page. Yeah, I wanted to remember to comment on that because you 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 made the reference earlier to Ralph McQuarrie. Tell me that's not a Ralph McQuarrie picture. Yeah, you know, right. The Death Star. I really like that. Yeah, all that Mc stuff just really uh, it always really resonated with me and that that is so a ralph mcquery type picture and it ha I like also the, has a c-3po in a in a posture that you would with his hand head in his hands like that he even posed like that i mean was no. he physically able to pose I don't like think that so that's a very un c-3po i don't know if maybe he was trying to do a reference to that the scream painting or something you know maybe uh, <laughs> i don't know or maybe he just looks thought, like well, the tin woodsman yeah, he's supposed to be depressed because Ben's dead. But. And I, you know, it, it doesn't. I, I don't mean it derogatory at all. I, it's, it's I really a compliment. I like the picture of uh, right next to that, just to the left of that, the panel of of Han, the extreme close up. Does yeah. that not look like Gil Kane? Yes, it does. That it's because really it's all like, angular. Yeah, I, I like that. It's I really. The, I it's the nose, lips, and eyes are very. Everything about it's Gil Kane. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I this 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 may be my favorite. It, well, this this one and number two are really high on my list for favorite issues of the six because the art in number two just blows me away every time. But it's not my favorite part of the movie necessarily. But uh, yeah, I really I like this. I'm so, sorry, I didn't mean to cut it off. Well, now now that I'm going on and I'm punching and I'm looking at number issue number five now. This reminds me, issue number five was the first one I got off the newsstand. Oh, and wow. I remember being really disappointed because I'd missed, you know, I'd sort of come in and it was a while before I finally got all of them, you know, but I eventually did. But yeah, this, I remember this being the first one that I got. And this is where the Death Star attacks the planet with like many, it's just flying over the planet, shooting oh, down yeah. at them. Oh, before we move on to number four, I was just going to comment on the letters page. This is where um, the column got a name um, in the first letters appeared. It was the, the column's name was Star Words, which I always really liked. The CGS did, a, did an episode not too awful long ago where they talked about, you know, letter columns back in the day. And they made a, a mention of a lot of their favorite letter column titles and I can't remember if they mentioned this one or not but I always liked that Star Wars I always thought that was kind of clever and uh, the first letters you know appeared in this issue and uh, uh -huh. I was amazed you know that uh, maybe I was just subconscious subconsciously recalling it when we did this in our first episode but I had made the reference at least one time to the uh, Marvel Comics adaption of Logan's Run, and I was looking at the letters here, and Logan's Run's mentioned like over and over again that people are comparing the two. So I thought uh -huh. that was neat, you know, that I wasn't the only one that that made that connection. And uh, I always like to look at old issues like this and look at the letters column to see if I recognize anybody, because every once in a while you catch somebody that actually went on to be a comics creator. The right. only name that sounded vaguely familiar was Ann Nichols, was the very first letter writer, and I don't know I, where I'm making a a connection at all but that name just rings a bell i wouldn't be surprised if if that person went on to uh work to work in something. comics or something but I, I couldn't right off the top of my head i couldn't connect it with anything it just it was a familiar sounding name so you're moving on to number uh number five We're on to number five yeah that's that i, I do that, that was the cover that you referenced before i really do like that cover that's uh hoberg and uh cochran Chewy's kind of cool on this one. Chewy's looking pretty Chewy-like. Nice profile <laughs> of him, you know. 
I sort I sort of like him in in this one. Luke's hair is kind of long. Very Han's brown. Like, yeah, brown and long. But Han's looking Han's looking about right. But it's just funny that the Death Star is like woo <laughs> flying over and. <laughs> Just yeah, it's like a big UFO instead of like yeah. moon size, you know. Yeah. But then you get to that that page, that splash page. God, if this isn't one of my pieces of Star Wars, no. What are you laughing about? <laughs> well, I, it just always cracks me up. the The posture of him running is always something about it has always cracked me up. Why? And, and the and the and also the title, Lo, Lo the, the moons of Yavin. of Yavin, and with him just like, <laughs> hey, and he's and he's also doing the thumbs up. Oh yeah, I don't know. It's always cracked me up. Now the inside front cover, I have to I have to plug this. It doesn't have anything to do with Star Wars, but it's an ad for Pizzazz, and it's got. A much younger, I mean, this was, what, this was 31 years ago, so this is a 31-year-ago Stan Lee, but he is he is looking totally like Lee Majors is portraying him in this picture. I mean, he's he's really good. It's like, it's like uh, Stan Lee meets the fall guy, you know, and he's, he's hawking pizzazz. I just thought that was cool. I remember that. I think I actually have an issue of pizzazz somewhere, but uh, I just thought that was worth mentioning. And there was but, also uh, Foom, Friends of Old Marvel. Oh, yeah. Now tell me, R two so far has looked better than in this picture on the splash page. I don't think R two's been done better so far. Three PO, he's got the he's got the classic three PO posture of him there, although he's a little short. A little he, short, yep. But look otherwise. at his foot. It looks like he's wearing sandals, though. Yeah, it does. But yeah, he do, he does. He he looks good. I don't mean to criticize. He does look good, but yeah, I noticed the 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 perspective is funny too. He's just a little squat somehow. I think R two would be hard to draw unless you've seen. Now this episode, you know, I was la or this episode, this issue, I was laughing, but this is like this. I love the art in this issue. There's some great. Yes. Just great. It's like for some reason it's a little darker. It seems to have a little heavier. Hand hand to it and have thicker ink to it maybe the shot yeah. on the second page of leia just leia and then a close-up of chewy is one of, is a great one i like the one right above it of the the ties moving in uh-huh and they're shooting these green beams that the the best description i can give it you know for for the listening audience that can't see it is if you picture the the phaser black of the Enterprise from, say, Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, how they were kind of like streaks. You know, they just kind of like, you know, just shot out in that funny, I don't know how to describe it, but they they weren't necessarily they, laser bolts. That's kind of how yeah, this looks. they were looks. like a solid line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of how this looks, and I like it. I, somehow it really works. You know, I mean, you, you think of a TIE fighter in the movies now, and it, you know, they've got that very narrow... You know, laser bolts, but these are like laser. They're like giant laser beams. You know, like like phaser beams almost. I, but somehow it really works. I think it's cool looking. Well, I think it's almost an impressionistic portrayal of it. Instead of instead of showing all the la individual lasers, they're just sort of making this so it has a more feel of movement and energy to it. Right. Than if they just drew like the lines of of laser bolts, right? And uh, it, yeah, and it works definitely. 
Now I'm I'm going to guess. You know, so far we've we've mentioned over and over that they didn't have a finished film to look at, but I'm I'm going to guess that's still the case. But if that is the case, man, you got to applaud them for their excellent portrayal of exploding Tie Fighters in these these couple of panels on page six and page seven. I mean, that's pretty close to what they look like in the movie. You know, when they when they would take a hit. Yeah, like they're blowing up from the inside. Yeah, I really liked it. I really liked the one on page six, that second yeah. panel on page six. That's an excellent picture. And it reminds me of the toy TIE fighter I used to have because the, the, the wing would blow off up. exactly like that. Uh-huh. They would just kind of pop off the sides like that. Yeah. Well, this I, whole battle sequence, I forget how important like actual sequences of this movie were, how like mm-hmm. they were such a big deal. And this was one of them. This was the one that... The, this was the one they released to all the TV shows that would review it to show, you know, this is what Star Wars is like. This was, a, the, you know, this was the first scene I ever saw from Star Wars was this attack from. I remember you telling me that when we were kids that this I was, was always favorite scene because it was the first thing you ever saw of it. Well, this I guy that I'm... worked with my dad had seen it at like the premiere somewhere. He was like in Pittsburgh or somewhere and saw it in a movie theater and said, you're going to love this movie. And then Gene Shalit was doing it on the Today Show and I was getting ready to go to school and they were like they're reviewing that Star Wars movie and they showed this scene and I almost crapped my pants you know I (laughs) I went to school with my mind blown going oh my god you know I'd never seen anything like that before I can't remember ever seeing any footage of of Star Wars before going to see it in the theater I can remember the first time we went to see it in the theater um, we came in late, so the first image I can ever remember seeing is Luke crouched down, and the the hologram of Leia shoots out of R two. That's my first recollection. If I had seen any footage before that, it's long forgotten. But of course, I saw a trailer for um, for Empire in the summer of '79 uh-huh. when we to the Black River Drive and watch Star Wars again. After the end credits, they had a trailer for Empire that just, oh my God, you talk about... Yeah. You talk about freaking the hell out, man. I lost it. I mean, they could probably hear me three counties away just freaking out. I was so excited. And then, uh, I don't know if I ever saw a trailer or not, but the first image I can remember from Jedi was, uh, was watching it on at the movies and they showed the whole scene where... Um, Han and Chewie attempt to to sneak up on the two speeder bike pilots, uh-huh. and then he breaks the stick and gets clubbed in the head and all that. That was the first thing I ever saw from that. But uh, yeah, that's neat. Just thinking about that. But I'm pretty sure that I went to Star Wars pretty much blind, just on the you know just on word of mouth that it was you know the awesome thing. You know, I just remember seeing this and thinking, space hippies. <laughs> They're all everybody. There's hair all over the place and. Everything was kind of, you know, the spaceship was all funky and and dirty and messed up, you know. And I didn't I was notice. Like, I didn't notice this when I read this earlier today, but you know, I look at Luke on the last panel of page ten, and then the second, no, I'm sorry, third panel of page eleven, and he looks very like, like manga-ish, you know, like I don't know, like uh, I mean, yeah. I'm not big. On- but you know, like Astro Boy or something, he's got that yeah. funny face, you know. Yeah, you're right. Kind of stylistic. But yeah, otherwise, I think the art's just fantastic. I mean, the the 
the way they make that last TIE fighter explosion look at the top of page 11, you really get uh-huh. a sense of speed, you know, like the, like like they picked it off as it was flying by, and, and you know, just it, spray of debris. And then it scattered, yeah. I love that. And then the pay, on page 14 with, you know, Vader and Tarkin meeting, talking about the bug they planted on the ship is great. It totally <laughs> captures paid- the feel of the movie. Now they went to Best Buy and paid all those thousands of dollars for that giant screen TV, and then they don't even have it turned on. Yeah, just yeah, must, <laughs> still waiting for the Dish Dish Network guy to come hook them up. But did you notice that there's like the screen is black? There's it's nothing, just total black. Yeah, there's nothing on the. Well, I guess you know they blew up Alderaan, so maybe there's nothing to look at now. You know, there's nothing but black outside. And here's another thing where I think they might have seen the movie because they have the scene on on page 15 where she's like if money's all you love then that's what you'll receive and the look on her face mm-hmm. when she says it is very much like in the movie they capture the whole like sort of snotty angry way that she answered it so that makes me think they might have seen been able to see parts of it by this time oh uh couple of things I meant to point out. I can't believe I skipped over these. See, this is this is what I get for being this late at night and this tired recording this. I'm I'm starting to forget things. But uh I wanted to point out that uh this is the first issue that begins to employ more standard comic bookiness to the issue because um on page two when Luke gets in the turret to fight off the uh the TIE fighters this is the first time where we actually get the 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 thought bubbles, you know, the thought clouds of of character thought. You're right. And you know, Luke has a moment of thinking, and then Han has a moment of thinking, and then Leia has a moment of thinking. And oh, it I happens like that. all over in this one. Yeah, it starts- this, yeah, this issue it does, but this is the first time in in any of the issues so far where we actually get in the characters' heads, and I really like that. And then the other thing I noticed, and I'm not sure if it began in this issue or if it started earlier, but I had felt, at least I didn't notice it before now, I felt they did a really good job up till now with the Falcon. But then somehow in this issue, the cockpit to the Millennium Falcon becomes absolutely huge. (laughs) And the, the other chairs just completely disappear. Instead of there being... The, the two chairs behind Han and Chewie where normally like uh, – Yeah, there's a like, whole open area with yeah, Luke sitting like on a little the couch. couch and, off one side and yeah. And, they, and they've got this huge – you know, all of a sudden they got this huge window in fr- instead of it being sort of over them like an airplane cockpit like it is. It's just this big round yeah. – yeah, and they're reaching up on the big old Star Trek panels. Yeah, that's weird. Well, it must be – and Han and Chewie are in opposite sides as well. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I, st- I still like that. And if I remember right, you know, you you commented on the giant window, and somehow, you know, I, I missed that entirely. But if I remember right, when we get to later issues where Carmine Infantino is the artist, I think he carries forward that ginormous window idea. You know, <laughs> I think he does that too. And Luke is on the end of bottom of page 16. He is pissed, man. <laughs> right. He's making a total Hulk face. Yeah. It's Luke a little manga too. I'm sorry? It's a little manga. Mangaloid, too. <laughs> Mangaloid. <laughs> I love that. 
Yeah, he's I making think a... I've got a new phrase there. I like that. We're going to have to remember that one. Yeah, that's a total Luke smash face right and there. page 17 is pretty much production. It's like pure production art. Yeah, tell me that picture at the top is not straight from like the Macquarie or maybe like a production still in Guatemala or something like that. Yep. Yeah, that's where they yeah they go to the that temple in uh, in Guatemala, and then we get to now see uh, this again. I mean, if you go from where this issue starts, it, it literally starts as as Han is telling um, Luke, you know, we're not out of this yet. It goes right to the part where. The fighters lift off of Yavin. That that cannot be more than what five minutes. I mean, it's really yeah, so not. They're, they're, they're stretching time out in this one. Yeah, I, I like it. I really do like it. Oh, this is another thing I thought of. All right, now, not. I mean, it was bad enough when you and I were kids, but now I, you know, I don't collect them anymore. But have you noticed the Star Wars figures that have been out over the years? I mean, there has been a yeah. Star Wars f- for people that literally had a second of screen time, like that bounty hunter chick from Phantom Menace. Yep. And, I mean, just some ridiculous creatures that, and characters that you're like, why the hell would anybody want an action figure of this guy? Poor, poor, poor Commander Willard. To my knowledge, has never had an action figure. And he uh. spoke. He, he had a speaking part in Star Wars, and the poor bastard never got an action figure. Now, again, if, if somebody knows that Commander Willard got an action figure and it just flew under my personal radar, please let me know. But, you know, poor Commander Willard. I feel so bad for him. I mean, Yak Face got a figure, for I Christ's know. sake. He even gets to say, may the Force be with you. How how much more valid of a Star Wars character does that make you? Oh, no, no, that's General Dodonna. But you know oh. what? Damn, you're right, General Dodonna. Did he ever get an action figure? I don't think so. I gotta look this shit up. Yeah, you're right. General Dodonna should have had a figure too. I didn't. I wasn't even thinking of him. You're right. Yep. Yeah, he's the one. No, the one I'm talking about is Commander Willard. He's the one that greets them as their land speeder comes tooling up to the oh, temple. Oh yeah, yeah. Tells Leia, you know, we we feared the worst and all that, and she blows him off. We have no time for our sorrows, Commander. Yeah, fuck off, Such, you old creep. Rigid bitch, frigid bitch. But you know, I thought of something else now. I remember thinking about this in a kid as a kid, but I guess my thought wasn't entirely fleshed out until I really, really re-examined it with this issue. I always had the impression, maybe this is why, what's her name, Mon Mothma in Return of the Jedi confused me so much. Uh-huh. I always had the impression from the way they respond to Leia in, in this part of the movie and in the comic and the book and everything – that she was the big deal behind the Rebel Alliance, right? Yeah, that she was sort of, if not a leader, she was sort of in spirit a leader. You know, she was a big... But I mean, if, if the Death Star has had succeeded and they had all died right here, right now, if, if the fourth moon had been decimated, would the rebellion have been over? I guess my real question is, where say. the hell is... Mothma, is she supposed to be there? I mean, retroactively, of course, but is she supposed to have, have been part of part of this whole deal? Was she there? Well, it obviously wasn't the whole fleet. Because unless they got a whole lot more stuff by Empire, you know. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can buy that. That, you know, after their first 
serious victory. You know, I mean, they take out the Death Star, they kill the Grand Moff. Nobody knows what's become of Vader. I can see where maybe you know they were able to swing more people to say, yeah. you know what, these these guys these guys might have have the shit going on, and uh-huh. then they would join the alliance. So yeah, maybe maybe that that was all afterward. You know, where they actually got more of a fleet per se. You know, as opposed to uh, you know, maybe that explains why we don't see any Mon Calamari until the third movie. You know, that they didn't they didn't join. The rebellion until you know a, a major victory had been won, or maybe the um, maybe the empire hadn't reached their particular planet or system by that t- until that time. That's true. Now, a moment I always always liked in this, and I think it's done best in this comic adaption. Then you know, definitely it was it wasn't even de- mentioned in the movie. And I remember it being in the in the novelization, but again, I don't think it was done as well. Is the whole part where in this book he's not red leader, he's blue leader. The the leader right. of Luke's squad talks about having met, you know, Luke's father, and uh, he makes the comment that the galaxy will be a lot better place, you know, when the sons of the original Jedi's are back and all that. I, I like that. I really like that. I think it adds a little a little bit more depth to to Luke and just gives a connection, you know, reminding you again that he is the son of a Jedi Knight, you know. I, I like that. They restored some of that to But at the, the same Star- time it doesn't make any sense because he should be one of the most reviled Jedi Knights of all time. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean I mean, is it common knowledge that he because I got the impression from Revenge of the Sith that really only Kenobi and Yoda, Yoda. knew that that he was Darth Vader. I I think most uh-huh. everybody else believed that he was killed by somebody along with all the other Jedi that were killed in the temple, right? I think you're right. I mean, that's that's my I haven't made it to that book yet, so maybe that'll flesh that out for me a little more. And I sadly as much as I really like that, I think that's the the film I've seen the least is Revenge probably just cuz it's the newest one, but that's the one I've actually seen the least of of uh-huh. the 6 action one so i need to watch that film a a few more times and really glean more stuff out of it but that was my impression was that i don't know what what the galaxy at large believes happened to anakin skywalker but i I believe as far as who knows the truth i think only yoda and obi-wan were were the the ones that actually knew that he and darth vader were one and the same yeah i think you're right you know the emperor too but i i mean of you know of of good guys all right. Anything? Uh, anything else on number five? No, I just love that last. Now it's do or die. <laughs> but I love that last. Even though the X wings are kind of sh- st- stumpy and short, I still love the way it looked. Did I talk about the? Uh, I don't know if I covered the the letter column in that one or not, but again, I don't think I noticed any famous names in any of the letter columns in these so far. But again, I did notice that again. You know, there were a lot of references to, to uh, Logan's Run, Run, and two thousand one, and you know, they because Marvel they were never as successful about it as uh, as they were with Star Wars, but they did really try several times to take a property. And and make it fly, you know. They they tried it with Logan's Run, and I think they only Planet ran an the issue. Apes. 
maybe one ish, one or two issues beyond the movie. Two thousand one had a decent little run with Jack um, Kirby. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot about Planet of the Apes. Yeah, Planet of the Apes did yep. fairly well because there was Adventures on the Planet of the Apes, and then the, the Planet of the Apes Black and White magazine ran yep. for quite a stretch, and that was successful. Um, Battlestar Galactica did okay. I you know I would as much oh, as I never right. cared, for that show, I would like to pick those up only because they had a lot of early uh, Walt Simonson art, and you know how much I like Walt Simonson. Um. Trying to think of any off the top of my head, I think the only thing that ever did as well for them would be uh, GI Joe, which of course you know wasn't a movie; it was a toy. So I don't know if that quite counts yep. at, in the same aspect. But yep. you know, Rom Mike did Gronauts. well. Rom ran for what seventy? I think it was seventy-five issues on Rom. Micronauts did pretty well, but uh, really the only other thing that that came close was uh, G.I. Joe and G.I. Joe actually if I'm not mistaken ran a lot longer than Star Wars you know Indiana as far as Jones not- had a decent decent run for a little while yeah and no, sadly that was never it wasn't really I mean, good first, what was it, first three issues I think that were John Byrne and then yeah, beyond that there's Beyond that, the only thing that ever made much of a, a lasting impression with me as far as the, the Marvel Indiana Jones, where they had some just drop-dead gorgeous covers, uh, especially the Mike Golden covers that yeah. he did. Those were nice. Been but terrible art inside. Well, then there was that one issue where Indy and Marion escape out the window. by you know by They lash Indy's bullwhip to a bedpost... And then they climb down the side of the building, and it turns out that Indy's whip would stretch to be like 500 feet long. Uh-huh. It was abs- it was just terrible. I, I'll never forget that that moment. I don't know what issue it is, but it's horrible. Anyway, getting back to Star Wars, we're, this is yeah. At last, we're at to the soul shattering climax of the year's best movie. Yes, and that was well, and that I now I remember that was the tagline of Star Wars: the year's best movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be on every everywhere with Star Wars because Time Magazine See, declared it I, the year's best movie. I, am I not justified in my anger over Annie Hall? Am I not justified because even even you know Time and Marvel and everybody was saying this was? Yeah. I mean, to my little nine year old brain, Star Wars was was a shoe in for Best Picture. And this I'm one also, so... this comic also hints that you're going to see Luke Skywalker have a lightsaber battle with Darth Vader. <laughs> it actually doesn't hint at it. It says, see, Luke Skywalker battle Darth Vader, and there they are with their lightsabers. But yep. it's not You're be. right. But tr- Truth in advertising. Where here, is it? Here we come to my favorite issue, and this is why this. Oh, these opening two pages are just like, I love them. It's just beautiful. It's the perfect comic depiction of how this, you know, this is as close as you're going to get to what you know, this just, felt like. This may literally be the first time I ever noticed this before. Did you notice that Darth Vader has kind of a Batman-style cape? It's that got that, like, serrated edge on it, like the wing-type thing on the bottom. You're right. You're right. I, I think I ever noticed that before. It is. It's like a Dracula-slash-Batman-style. Yep. I really like his out. It's it's different than the than the than the movie when it's almost well, more. He's got, uh, his, he's got his um. Oh, what's that character from the X Men? He's got the legs. Colossus. He's got the yeah. Colossus legs. Yeah, he's he's looks very uh, Doctor Doomish to yeah, me. Yeah, he's got definite superhero boots working. Yeah, 
Yeah, you do, yeah, you're right. You know, from you're you're literally right because even the boots they're a different color. But if you look at just from the waist down, he does does look like Colossus because Colossus uh-huh. has those those funky looking swashbuckler style boots like that too. You're right, but he looks awesome on the cover. I think I think this is the best we've seen him. Well, I don't know. His face picture on number five was really good too. Or no, I'm sorry, number four was really good too. The looming looming over Luke and yeah. I like that one too, but as far as like a like an actual full body pose, this is my favorite Vader cover so far. And then it's got the ships battling in the background, and I always like that one of the ships is a Y wing. I don't know why I always thought that was cool, but I always thought the Y wings were neat and didn't yeah. get enough exposure. So I like seeing the Y wing in battle like that. Now this and then doing the classic damsel in distress, like don't hurt me, you know. Now this one has one of just the worst. And this isn't even, you know, it's just some random Imperial guy. But on page three, look at that guy's mouth and lips and chin. Man. Come on. <laughs> this was another first. This was another, uh, unless I miss something somewhere, the uh, second, third, and fourth panel on page three are a totally... I don't know where they're pulling this scene out of. It's not out of the book. It's not out of the movie. It's not out of the radio drama. It's just like a total, we need to thrill, fill three panels yeah. moment. You know, it's just these guys, these Imperials having a very, you know, unimperial esque moment where they're just discussing, you know, what they're going to do to all these rebels. You know, it just, yeah. it's weird. The fools. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they realize the battle station is now the ultimate power in the universe? They're mad. That's what they are. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That guy's got a really weird... You know, it almost looks... He almost looks to me like one of those like like racist, like World War II yeah. Japanese, you know... You know, let's go fight the Japs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. Well, also that second panel, although... I'm not crazy about the way it's. It looks funny to me. So the perspectives look weird or something. But it all it reminds me of that card, that infamous Star Wars card. The the caption on the bottom said "The Empire Strikes Back." Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. It, it looks. It's very. But I, I like the stormtrooper standing up on the ledge right there. I, was, I always remember thinking as a kid that like, oh, you know, he, he's gonna fall because he, he you know, one wrong step and you know the stormtroopers couldn't see for crap in those helmets. So I mean, one wrong step and this guy's gonna bust his ass. I like that. And I really like the artistic license, I guess you would say, that each one of the guys, as they give their call sign, is colored in a different color. I think that's neat. I really like that. And then this whole, the whole, page six is great. That's a great Darth Vader with his fist. And, you know, and the guy saluting. I like the way the guy saluting looks. He looks very, I just like the way he's drawn. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this whole thing, and and the, on page seven with Vader climbing into his ship. That's I got a it. Great shot. I was trying. I was looking at the same guy you were talking about on page six, the bottom panel of page six. I kept looking at that guy, thinking, "What does he look like? What does he look like? What does he look?" And it finally occurred to me, he looks like he's inked by Murphy Anderson. Oh, That's the, you know who I'm talking about? From the Rocketeer. Wasn't it? No, he, uh, Murphy Anderson did a lot of inks over um, Kurt Swan on Superman oh. back in the day. 
And he just, he does. I, I kept looking at his face, particularly his face. I kept looking at him thinking, man, he that art looks so reminiscent of something else. And that's what it looks like to me. He, his face, at least, looks like a like a classic, like Sw what they call Swanderson, Superman-style face. You know, like he could be, like he, he looks like he could be like a, like a military man on Krypton. You know right. what I mean? Like, like in the classic Superman stuff. But yeah, I really like that. And then I noticed that Luke really, really looks like Luke in these issues. I mean, he looks like Mark Hamill, yeah. you know? I, I think really for the first time so far in the series, I think he really looks like Mark Hamill. And uh, once again, in this, you know, like like the last issue, we really get a lot of inside the, the, their head moments. You know, a lot of thought. Yeah, like what, what are those 10. called? They're not thought. Are they thought balloons? They're not really yeah. balloons, like thought clouds. But yeah, a lot more moments like that. And this one, yeah, like on page ten, the the you can see the two different emotions on Luke, and they're both they just both totally look like. Mark Hamill. Mm -hmm. the, he's got it captured perfectly. I and, like that. There's so much of Biggs yeah. in this in this last issue. And uh, they got that Porkins is a big fat guy. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought he even was looks funny. like he even looks like that guy. I have no yeah. idea what that actor's name is, but he even looks like him. And I always like the color of his uh, of his droid too. He's colored really different for an R. I mean, it's clearly an R two unit, but he's covered re colored yeah, rather like really blue weird. and yellow and red. And uh, I like I love the way the the layout at the top of this page on top of eleven with them over over the tactical viewer and and the extreme close up of Leia. Now you mentioned the Rocketeer a moment ago. Doesn't she look like uh -huh. a Dave Stevens, uh Betty Page? It's the lips, yeah. Yeah, she does. And she it's really just does. the way he understates, like he just has the eyes, and then just like understates the way he draws a nose. So it's this little cutie button nose. She's yep. got a great pair of boobs on the top of that page too. She did in the movies too. She did in the movies. And just here, the the way Vader's ship is drawn. I mean, they just, in these next few pages, they capture the whole feel of this whole battle so completely, you know, I used to, I, that's why I just love this issue. It was all these close-knit panels. Are you listening to Star Wars stuff. music? No. I could swear I hear music. It's just because so my weird. speech is so inspirational. <laughs> I hear I hear music when you talk. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I for just a moment I thought I heard a snatch of the Star Wars theme. I don't know why. I don't, must just be my my head. But yeah, you're right. The well, you know, it's weird because I was I was noticing the tie. You were talking about Darth's tie, but I was actually a page behind you. I was looking at the next to the last panel on page 11 where the tie fighters blasting porkins uh -huh. that tie fighter is like super photo referenced i mean yes. it's perfect tie fighter you flip the page and the picture of darth vader's tie fighter in the fourth panel is just beautiful but the two tie fighters under it are totally wacky and out of proportion so it's 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 really strange yeah they're all round and in these ones and the other no, one I'm had, 
I'm sorry. The other one had the sort of sloped off look of what one actually looked like. I want our, our listening audience to realize that I'm not a total prick and I don't mean to keep interrupting Chris all the time. I think I have just a slight lag sometimes and I, I'm not always aware of when you're yeah. starting to so I, I just want people to know that I, I'm not really like that in real life. I don't constantly cut people off when they're trying to talk. No, it's it's just like when you're talking long distance sometimes. There's that little lag. Sometimes it's not there at all, it seems like, on Skype. But sometimes it rears its ugly head. Especially when we're talking at the same time, it'll sort of, it'll sort of make things go piss-wacky. All right, old man, I'm going to pick your brain. Okay. Do you remember there was a grocery store? It was the grocery store that Walt Hadley worked at. You'd go across the bridge into West Carthage, and it was immediately on the left. I have no idea what kind of a grocery store it was. It was the A&P. Okay. Now, they had those, you know, probably back in our childhood, they were probably only like a nickel or ten cents, but they had those gumball machines that they didn't give you gumballs. They gave you, like, toys and like in yep. a little plastic bubble. Yeah. Do you remember? They weren't name brand, so they weren't manufactured by, like, you know, they weren't licensed but you could buy one of those little bubble things, and if you got damn lucky, one of them would be a TIE fighter that you put together, and they looked really stubby and short like these ones in panel four on page 14. Do you remember those? I think they were – I think it was called Star Warriors. Could be. Could be. You know what I'm talking about, yes, though? Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I had a bunch of them. Yeah, I did. I had a million of those things. Because they were cheap. You know, you could buy them. For, I'm pretty sure they For were a maybe a nickel. Or were they a quarter? I think they were a quarter. I had a lot of them. Because it seemed like every time we'd come out of grocery shopping, I'd con one of my parents into let me buy some cheap shit from one of those those little, you know, you'd put the thing in and turn the knob. Do they even have those type of things anymore? Sure, I see them all the time. They had the, There was this thing called homies that were really popular in them. And they were little Hispanic characters. Um, and they had all these, you know, they, they took them through every variation that they could have. You know, this one's a firefighter, you know. And they went through, like, five different. And I think people just started buying them because they were being kind of ironic and they were just kind of, but that you know, but that, that pushes you. They, they were kind of cool, you know. They're little figures and they were kind of cartoony. Well, you know. You're you're Mr. eBay. What do you, is there a market for that kind of shit? You know those old, you know. Oh sure, bubble, but it, it's up and down. Oh, I don't know about the old stuff. It, some of it, you know. I bet you the Star Wars related ones would be, especially the non-licensed stuff like that. I bet you there's a nice little market for that I'm kind sure of stuff. I'm sure there's a whole little sub-market for non-licensed Star Wars stuff. There's I wish a, I had stuff because the only thing i ever saved was every once in a while i'd get smart and just about anything i ever bought out of one of those machines that was a licensed comic book related thing like somewhere i have a, a little i mean it's a little teeny tiny um what would you call it one of those lenticular things where if you move it the picture would change uh -huh. Uh -huh. and it was a little teeny tiny like like a little thumbnail photo size lenticular thing of Bruce Banner and you moved it just right and it became the Hulk. Ooh. Somewhere I have still got that thing. And, you know, just odds and ends. Somewhere I have a, 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 a one of the actual plastic bubbles 
And inside of it is a Kyle Baker drawn Joker that I've never even taken out of the bubble. You know, just weird little shit like that that I've collected over the years. You know, I've got boxes full of crap like that somewhere. Well, I remember you remember Poopa Troopers. No, what, what were they? They were little paratroopers, and they had parachutes that were little plastic parachutes with string. Oh, yeah, and, okay. And you'd, and you'd sort of wrap them up and throw them up in the air, and yeah. as they came down, the, the parachute would open up, and they would float oh, I didn't down. know that's what they were called, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Poopa Troopers. And uh, I used to love Poopa Troopers. And uh, that was my favorite moment of the entire first Toy Story movie was that little half second where they jump off the ledge and the, the, the parachutes come out on the, the toy soldiers. That was yeah. my favorite point of that whole movie. You know, not not to say I didn't love the whole movie. I did, but that was just my the, – if I had to pick one second of that movie, that was, that was the one second. Jesus, we are so far off topic. So anyway – uh, Darth Vader is just blowing up rebels left and right here, and uh, man, you you were right. I mean, the art really is good. It's just somehow the inking. You know what I, I think it is actually. It's not so much really even the inking. The inking is a little bit weird to me in this one. I think what it is is that the um, the colorist. I mean, not only is uh, yes. Leia Aloha not doing the colors. Or I mean, not doing the inking rather, but he's also not doing the colors for this particular and issue. Not and very I think subtle. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really different in this one, and I think that makes a lot of difference between, you know, the, the prior uh, what three, no four issues. Well, there's like this bright primary red that they seem to be using. It looks a lot like the color when they first started using Baxter paper. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. Early uh, Baxter Teen Titans, yeah, yes. definitely. Yes, where a lot of the subtlety of the coloring and the shading would be lost, and it looks like it looks like it was almost like those watercolor books you had with your little kids that were like, yeah. where the watercolor was right on the page, so you would just sort of color a little area in blue, a little area in red, a little area in yellow. That's the one thing I don't like about this is the the coloring and why one of my favorite versions of it was the little black and white paperback that's true yeah I didn't realize that Darth Vader's TIE fighter shot Kirby dots sure why not when they hit something they go scree <laughs> oh you know what we've been totally remiss on this issue is uh, is Chewie's dialogue oh I, I, point that out issue to issue and I totally flubbed it well there was one that was all consonants I saw in the last one it was like L-N-G-G-G-R-R-R-R-L and, and uh, I'm usually one of those people that back in the day if they put the letter page in the middle of the story I couldn't resist I'd end up reading the letter page and shit for myself but this is the issue where they announced that uh this is not the last issue yeah. that they are going to forge forward with Star Wars, and that number seven will be following the adventures of Han and Chewie for the time being. And I always liked that. I think this is remember in our in our speculation episode about what would an episode seven be like. Uh huh. And I said that I always had the impression that 
Han wouldn't necessarily hang out with the Rebels. I think it owes back to this type of thing. It owes back to Star Wars Issue 7. It owes back to the newspaper strip that I like so much because, you know, like Star Wars number 7 goes into the adventures of Han and Chewie, but they're alone. The Star Wars strip went into the adventures of Luke, Leia, and the droids, but they didn't have Han and Chewie. And then you had Splinter the Mind's Eye, the first expanded universe book. And again, no, I don't even think they're mentioned yeah. in that book. So I think, I think that's they're mentioned that like in passing. You know, he's just like remembers them or something. I think that's why I've always just had that impression. You know, I, I think it's just a childhood thing, a childhood carryover that somehow he was going to stick to his guns and damn it, he wasn't joining the rebellion and becoming a freedom fighter. He was at heart what he was, you know, he was a space pirate and that's, he was, I think that's why Harrison Ford sort of, I think since Harrison Ford wasn't able to die at the end of Jedi and that he was sort of, his character sort of softened up a little bit. That's why he wasn't into being Han Solo. anymore after that. I think after that he was like, okay, I'm done with it. I don't see it. You know, if that turns out to be the case, then I almost feel like I owe Harrison Ford an apology because I never, you know, I never considered it that way before. I was always approaching it more from the Leonard Nimoy aspect of, I'm too good a fucking actor to be stuck in this role, you know? That's really how I've interpreted it all these years. I think he's actually too good. He's such a good actor that he would only pursue roles when he thought it would have, when he could, when he could sink his teeth into it. Because... I'll tell you, if there's anything about Crystal Skull that, you know, no matter what anybody says bad about it, you know, he sunk his teeth into that. You know, he really, he really, he didn't half-ass play indie. He was, he became indie for that movie. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, that's what, that's what rode the movie for me with the, from the first scene when he's up on the rafters and the guys in the, in the truck and he, and, and they're, and he pulls out his gun, or no, Indy's in the truck, coming towards him, and the and the Russian guy's like, "I'm gonna play chicken with him," and the guy's like, "Don't get funny with this guy, Boris. You don't know him," and he's like, "You know, you don't know him. You don't know him." And the trucks are getting closer, and and this guy's thinking, ah, "I'm just gonna make him chicken out," and the guy's going, "You don't know what you're dealing with," and you know, of course, Indiana Jones totally trashes his truck and gets away. But that was this classic, you know, classic Indiana Jones. It was filled with classic Indiana Jones and and just great reactions by Harrison Ford. But anyway, yes, he's a rogue and a maverick in in Star Wars and should have remained so. I like Vader screaming, by the immortal gods of the Sith. Yes. (laughs) Very comic book convention for... Yes. Darth Vader. Which now, as we know him as Anakin, it seems like even a, a more out of character line. But uh, I like the shot on page 23 of Chewie and above it with Vader and his <laughs> joystick. <laughs> it's a white tornado. <laughs> yep, frantically trying to get away as he as he spins off and the bat signals in the background. <laughs> It's a good, uh, it's a good chewy face on number yeah. twenty-three, though. Yeah, it he, is. It's pretty good, as he says, "Gronk, Gronk," <laughs> and it's all wiggly too. And then they blow it up. Oh, he looks like the Wolfman at the bottom of page twenty-six, though. Yeah, 
<laughs> well. <laughs> now, what do you think? I always like that explosion picture. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny if you think about it. I thought it, it was kind of better than the movie. <laughs> it's kind of ironic that, you know, when they did the special edition, they put in those, like, waves. Yep. yep. It actually looks somewhat like that yep. right now if you look at it. Yeah, I like that. Yep. Then we have, I uh, thought of those waves as Star Trek waves when they added those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's right out of the beginning of Star Trek Six. You're yeah. right. I like that uh, Spider-Man defeats the legal eagle using Hostess cupcakes in uh, on the ad in the middle. There. <laughs> then getting oh, this is this was the one I wanted to comment on. Look at Luke at the bottom of page thirty. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. You don't like it? Huh? No, I do like it. He looks just like Mark Hamill. It, it looks well. It's probably right. It's probably right from a. Yep. Right from a production still. I can definitely tell that the ones at the bottom of uh, the two panels at the at the last page. I mean, for the first time in all six issues, uh, Han Solo looks like Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, yeah. Instead of just like iconic Han Solo. And then that la- the very last panel is definitely photo reference, but yeah. it's still because Luke's got that styling jacket that I always uh-huh. wanted. <laughs> it's like it's kind of it's like kind of a dress flight jacket. And you know, all those years, and I kept just praying that they would release a Luke in that uniform. They finally did put a figure out of Luke with that jacket, and you know, I missed it. I never bought one. But they did finally put one out. I just, I don't know what it is about that. You'd look like such a retro throwback dork wearing that now, but I always thought that that jacket was just I ought to talk to my roommate. She can make almost any item of clothing. I ought to see if she can't replicate some classic Star Wars outfits. (laughs) I think that was one of the happiest moments for me in Star Wars comics when... You know, for for after this issue, you know, when Luke finally comes back at, I think it's issue eleven when Luke finally returns. Um, you know, it was almost right before the Empire adaptation, so a lot of issues, like twenty something issues. Luke was constant, no matter where they were going or what they were doing. Luke was always wearing his um, his tattooing, tattooing outfit because they didn't right- know what else to put him into until after Empire. <laughs> Right toward the end of it, and I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't give it away, but right toward the end of those issues, right before they get to the Empire adaption, he finally does adopt that outfit again, and I loved it, man. That was I remember as a kid just being so thrilled that, you know, for one thing, he was finally out of that stupid tattooing outfit, but also that he had this, the styling jacket, you know, he yeah. just, he looks cool. That that was definitely my you know I I know other people that their favorite Luke outfit was either the the Bespin fatigues or the uh, you know the the black Jedi looking outfit that he wore at the end of uh, uh, Return of the Jedi but Jedi. I always liked the, the jacket he wore at the awards ceremony at the end of Star Wars I just thought that was awesome so wow we talked yeah. the shit out of those three issues I was gonna but... say we should wrap this up yep we will um let me see what else did I have uh, that was it for my notes. Now, next time, um, I think we had originally, when we announced this, we said three issues at a time. But actually, next time will actually be four issues. We will be reviewing issues seven through ten because that's the next complete arc. Yeah. 
So I think it's better to do 7 through 10. They basically follow the adventures of Han and Chewie, and then that will lead into number 11. And I'm not sure – from number 11, I'm not sure how many issues in a row we'll do. We'll probably go back to just two or three at a time. We'll go – yeah, we'll check it out. Yeah, but definitely – Story arc by story arc. Yeah, I think it's best to just get the the entire story arc of the Han and Chewie adventure out of the way for 7th. Ten, so that'll be next time. The first, and I've heard this argued, but it really is the first expanded universe story. You know, yep. based it goes solely by cover dates and everything like that. It, it happened before um, Splinter Except, of the Mind. Yeah, so yeah. this this will be the first beyond the movie adventure of Star Wars. And it's fun. You get to meet the Star Killer Kid, and that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> And Jackson, don't forget Jackson. Oh, 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 oh no, that's right, the Space Bunny. And that's the, all coming up. The next Jar month. Jar before Jar Jar. Yeah, he he had he was a little saltier than Jar Jar. He was tough talker. But anyway, that's for next time, and we'll have uh, next month. On, uh, this we'll have episode three of Clone Wars and some more audio books and all that is Star Wars. And all you Star Wars fans that are not prejudiced towards Star Trek, um, come back next week for um, another one of our Star Trek uh, review episodes. And uh, we'll see you next time. Remember to uh, stop by the forum and check us out, thecomicforums.com. Just scroll on down to our our little section there, Two True Freaks. Um, What else? We have a Gmail address, twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Send us a note. You know, we'll, if we like yep. it, we'll read it. You know, on the air and uh, check us out on YouTube and MySpace and everywhere else. Yep, two true freaks. Uh, uh, yeah, it's two true freaks dot dot com, and that'll that'll take you to our blog page, which will which will take you to everything else that we were just talking about too. Super keen links galore. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, Freak. Bye.